The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love. That lasts forever Know His hope And sure salvation I will trust in Him Though the world Falls around me I rest And know That He has found me Christ the rock Is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In this episode series, we have been dealing with the subject of eschatology and prophecy, looking at the issue through the lens of the Jewish feasts and festivals found in Leviticus chapter 23 and elsewhere. Now, if you're just beginning this series, you should uh, have already looked at the first two episodes. Otherwise, if you start from this point, you're probably going to be somewhat caught off guard. So I would highly recommend that you start from the beginning and proceed forward through each episode in order to have a complete context as to what we're talking about. As stated generally, there are seven accepted feasts or festivals outlined in Leviticus chapter 23, which we have identified, those being Passover, Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, which are found in the spring slash summer uh, season of the uh, year, and then in the fall and winter uh, season, we have the Feast of Trumpets, 
the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. At present, we have an outline of the first three feast or festivals. It's also important that you be making notes as we go along, and as And if you've been doing so, you should have something similar to a piece of notebook paper or something else where you have drawn a horizontal line from left to right on the piece of paper. And then at various points, you have made small vertical marks along that horizontal line that represent various dates. On the far left of your piece of paper, the first vertical mark that you should have is labeled number one and represents Nisan the first, which is the first day of the Jewish year, which corresponds to our March or April of the Gregorian year. The second vertical mark on the horizontal line should be labeled number 10 and represents Nisan the 10th, at which time the, uh, Paschal lamb is selected from the flock by the high priest and is kept for four days. We also pointed out that this also corresponds to Jesus of Nazareth being selected via his triumphal entry some 2,000 years later found in the Gospels. Then, the next or third line, vertical line that you should have on your piece of paper is labeled number 14 or Nisan the 14th, which represents Passover, which corresponds to the time when the Paschal lamb, which was selected and uh, inspected, is then put to death between the evenings on the 14th and also corresponds to the same date that Jesus of Nazareth was in fact crucified as the Paschal Lamb between the evenings. As we left off our last episode, we found ourselves on the fourth vertical mark labeled as 15 or Nisan the 15th, which represents the Feast of Unleavened Bread and or the Sedir meal. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, we find by commandment uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 6, where it says, And on the fifteenth day of the same month, that month being Nisan, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord, and seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have a holy convocation, ye shall do no servile work therein. Now, what's instructive in this feast and festival is that by tradition, the Orthodox Jews have to this day the habit of going throughout their home and cleansing their entire home of any kind of unleavened bread, going so far as to move the refrigerator, move the stove, empty out the toaster, sweep the house from top to bottom, side to side to get any kind of uh, leavened bread out of the house. Now, you might be asking, what's the deal with unleavened bread? That's the question that most of us are going to ask because most of us are not Jewish by birth. So, by review of Scripture, 
Uh, God gives commandment by example that leavened bread is the type of sin. In other words, yeast. You put any amount of yeast into a, uh, a loaf of bread, and that yeast essentially takes over the bread and causes it to puff up or to rise, much as sin causes a person to puff up and have pride in their life. So, leavened bread is considered the type of sin, and thus, in preparation for this uh, feast or festivals, the Jews, by commandment, are, are, are to get rid of all unleavened bread from their home in order to uh, be pure from uh, the idea or stain of sin. Now, this is instructive because in a New Testament sense, what we understand is that Jesus of Nazareth, who is fully God and fully man, was put to death on the cross by way of crucifixion on the 14th and is now laid to rest and put in the grave uh, for our sin. And Jesus, who is God, has no sin. So he is the type of unleavened bread, if you will. He has no sin since he is God. It's also instructive because in the New Testament sense, once we are in Christ through faith, we understand that Christ has taken our sin upon himself so that we are without sin, just in the same sense that the Jews would have no leavened bread in their home or in their life. We, as New Testament Christians in Christ, have no sin in our home, in our life. So in the end, it shows that Christ's atonement is efficacious to remove all leaven, all sin, from the lives of those who place their faith in him uh, by God's grace. It's also very important to understand that this feast of unleavened bread on Nisan the 15th is considered not only a Sabbath, in the sense that those that are celebrating it are to rest, but it is in fact a high Sabbath. This is distinct and this is different from the weekly Sabbath. A high Sabbath is not the same as a weekly Sabbath. In fact, as we looked at as we look at the Jewish feasts and festivals of the Lord, we will find that there are in fact numerous high Sabbaths that fall within the uh, feasts and festivals of the Lord that are distinct and different from the weekly Sabbath. This is absolutely critical that you have this in mind. Next up on your horizontal line, what you want to do is make a another vertical mark on the horizontal line and label it as the weekly Sabbath, the Shavuot. This is the weekly Sabbath that occurs perpetually throughout time, which occurs every Friday evening to every following Saturday evening, if you will. Next up, as we continue in Leviticus chapter 23, we read verses 8 through verse 12 as follows, quote, 
But ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Verse 9, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. Verse 11, And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Verse 12, And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf a he-lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto the Lord. Verse 13, and the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenths of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor, and the drink offering thereof shall be of wine, the fourth part of a hen. Verse 14, And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings." Unquote. So, going back to your drawing, on your horizontal line, you want to make the sixth vertical mark labeled first fruits. Now, on this vertical mark, we're not putting a label of any kind of a number. And the reason for that is that, as you will notice, nowhere in Scripture does God give commandment that this festival or feast of firstfruits should fall on a specific number of the month. What, in fact, uh, God says by commandment is as you read through the verses that we just read, is that in verse 11, that the priest does the waving of this first fruits on the morrow, that is the morning after the Sabbath. That's the weekly Sabbath that we're talking about. So this would be effectually the Jewish first day of the week known in Gregorian terms as Sunday. Okay, so, by culture, by history, what would happen during that Feast of Firstfruits is that the high priest would leave the temple, go outside the city into a uh, specific location where the barley harvest was growing, and they would have a pre-designated bundle of barley that was already tied into a sheaf. And the high priest would ceremoniously cut the uh, entire uh, sheaf of barley from the ground there and then return with that sheaf back to the temple. This would be traditionally on a, uh, the evening before the Feast of Firstfruits. Then on the Feast of first, first Fruits per se, the high priest would take that same sheaf of barley and would offer that sheaf of barley in the uh, temple as a burnt offering to the Lord. In other words, they would burn it and the 
aroma, if you will, would ascend to God and would be a pleasing offering to the Lord based on what they had done with regard to the uh, Paschal Lamb on the uh, 14th. So, at this point, we cross over to the New Testament and we take the type that we've just been given and look at the substance and what do we find historically? We find that Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, has been crucified between the evenings on Nisan the 14th as the Paschal Lamb at the same time that the high priest would be sacrificing the uh, Paschal Lamb, the, the actual sheep outside the walls of the uh, uh, city. Then you have Jesus of Nazareth being buried as the type of our mediator and uh, sin being buried with him as a type of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then lo and behold, we have Jesus uh, resurrecting early in the morning of the first day. And then on the same morning, Jesus ascends to the Father as our mediator and mediates with the Father regarding our sin, which is an acceptable sacrifice to the Father. This perfectly matches what is going on in type with the uh, type of the barley being removed from the field. Secondarily, the removal of the barley was necessary by uh, symbolically before the full harvest of the barley could be started. So by type, what it tells us is that uh, Jesus was the first of the fruits which was to be harvested, if you will, and ascend to the Father. Now we can find proof of this New Testament uh, concept that I am giving you very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 and following. There it reads, quote, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Verse 23. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Unquote. So here in Corinthians, Paul clearly connects the dots between what God is saying in Leviticus chapter 23 with his commandment regarding the feast and festival of first fruits and its type, and the subsequent substance which Jesus fulfills in the New Testament with his ascension to the Father as the first fruits in the order of resurrection. This brings us full circle to the good news of the gospel because what it tells us is that if so be that God has called and chosen us as his elect children, 
and we come to repentance and a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, then our old nature, our sin, is buried with Christ. Our house, if you will, is swept from any leavened bread. We have no sin in God's eyes. We have, in fact, uh, Christ's imputed righteousness to our account, which is all that God sees. Then we are placed in the grave with Christ. That nature is buried with him. And though we may taste physical death, absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Our sins are paid for past, present, and future. It is done. Following the Feast of First Fruits, also known as Yom Hakabirim, we next find the following commandments in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 15 through 22, starting with verse 15. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Verse 16. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Verse 17. Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be a fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Verse 18. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 19. Then shall ye sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Verse 20. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs, that she be holy to the Lord for a priest. Verse 21. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. Verse 22. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not make clean riddance of the corners of the field when thou reapest, neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of the har of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God." Unquote. So here's what you want to do on your piece of paper. You want to make yet another vertical mark immediately following first fruits and put uh, a label on there and write in the word Iyar, I-Y-A-R. This is the month, the Jewish month of Iyar, which corresponds to our April or May of the Gregorian year. Then make another vertical mark to the right of that and write in Sivan, S-I-V-A-N. This Jewish uh, month of the year corresponds to May or June of our Gregorian year. 
And then the final mark you want to make is, uh, to the right of that is a vertical mark labeled Pentecost. So here, what happens by commandment and also by cultural history is that the Jews, once the uh, Feast of First Fruits occurred, they were to begin counting. In fact, this uh, counting is to this day referred to as the counting of the Omar, the Omar being a measure of barley. And they would count for seven Sabbaths or 49 days from the Feast of uh, First Fruits. And on the 49th day plus one, the 50th day would be this Feast of Pentecost, which simply means 50 in Greek. Keep in mind that as stated, your vertical mark, which is labeled Pentecost, is not going to have a number above it per se because the holiday itself is supposed to follow 49 or the 50th day after the Feast of First Fruits and isn't guided by a day of the month so much as it is by a counting of the days following the Feast of Unleavened Bread, if you understand what I'm uh, saying. Now, in the Old Testament sense here, what would happen is, at this point, after 50 days, the barley harvest would have reached its full completion, and now we would be into the wheat harvest time of the agricultural year, which would begin at this time of the month, on this time labeled as Pentecost, on this uh, feast schedule. So the workers, if you will, those that were involved in the harvest would go out and they would begin harvesting the wheat from the various uh, fields where the wheat was uh, grown. Now, uh, interestingly enough, culturally speaking, as we look at Jewish, uh, the Jewish mindset, if you will, uh, by type, uh, the barley is always representative in the Jewish mind of those who are Jewish, the, those that are the house of Israel, if you will. And wheat was always seen metaphorically as a type of the Gentiles. This is highly, highly instructive because as we come to the New Testament and we see what's happening with Pentecost, we see that uh, Jesus, even after his uh, crucifixion, begins to tell his disciples, his followers, to, uh, to wait for the outpouring of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, which was to be poured out. And it just so happens that, historically speaking, that this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, which uh, we see recorded in Acts chapter 2, happens exactly, precisely on the day of Pentecost uh, when the two are come together. Next, you have to remember, well, what does Pentecost actually symbolize? Well, in addition to the Holy Spirit being poured out upon those that were in the upper room, 
the harvest, if you will. That was the beginning of the church. That was the beginning of those who were God's outcalled ones that the Holy Spirit was being poured out upon. And that harvest began at that point. All those that were had the Holy Spirit poured out upon them eventually became known as Jesus' followers, the church, or eventually Christians. And again, looking at Leviticus chapter 23, verse 17, where we see that, quote, ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour, shall be bacon with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord, unquote. Now, it's interesting here that it mentions two loaves because as we look at this, I'm going to submit to you that the two loaves represent two different peoples, one being uh, God's own people, the Jews, uh, this being one loaf. Remember, Jesus came to save and seek his own, first and foremost, to the house of Israel, to the Jews. And then when it was obvious that there were those who were going to reject him, that they were going to uh, deny him, then Christ opened the door to the Gentile world. The Gentiles were going to be the branch which was grafted into the root of the olive branch in order to uh, be an additional uh, part of God's people. Separate but distinct, separate but still God's people. This, I believe, as do other many other people, is what is here the substance of this of the type of these two loaves. We have the Jews and the Gentiles. It's also instructive that these two loaves that are to be uh, made are to be bacon with leaven. Now, that's interesting because we just previously had a feast and festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where the Jews were instructed to go out of their way to clean the entire house, top to bottom, left to right, behind the stove, behind the refrigerator, in the toaster, and everywhere else, and get every crumb of leaven out of their house, out of their lives. And here we have an instruction to bake the loaves with leaven. Now you have to ask yourself, what's the deal? Why to go to all that trouble uh, in one case to get rid of it, and then in another case to actually instruct proactively to use it? What's that about? Well, quite simply, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, as stated, is the type of Jesus who is God and who is without sin. He's the only one without sin, completely 100% perfect in every way because he is God. When we come to this second issue here with Leviticus 23.17 and the two loaves, we're now talking about people. We're talking about God's church, uh, those that he chooses these are all people, whether they be Jews or whether they be Gentiles or male or female or whatever, they're humans. 
And what do all humans have in common? They have sin. Yes, it's buried with Christ, but we still have that old nature there lurking. It's not as if it's surgically removed. It's just dealt with in a propitiatory way so that when God looks at us, he sees Christ. It doesn't mean that the sin isn't there. It just means God is not looking at it. He's not seeing it. He's seeing Christ instead. And it's still there. It's being dealt with through the process of sanctification in the lives of God's people, the church, Jew or Gentile, throughout uh, history from the time that uh, Jesus rose again until the time when he returns for his people and he does away with sin and all of its effects. So with this being said, we have now completed the first four feasts or festivals for the spring slash summer uh, time of the Jewish year found in Leviticus chapter 23 and elsewhere. So all total, you should have a horizontal mark on your paper that goes from left to right and has nine vertical marks on it from left to right. The first one being on the first, Nisan the first, the second being Nisan the tenth, the triumphal entry, Nisan the fourteenth, the Passover, uh, Nisan the fifteenth, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the next mark being the weekly Sabbath, the next mark being first fruits, the next mark being Iyar, the month of Iyar, the next mark being the month of Sivan, and the final mark being Pentecost. And what is instructive about these marks is that we had clear instruction given by God in Leviticus chapter 23 and elsewhere, 2,300 years before Christ was ever born, and 2,300 years later, we find amazing, precise fulfillment for each and every mark on the chart. What this tells us is that God is God. God is true. His word is true. There is no other book anywhere on earth that gives this kind of specificity, this kind of preciseness, 2,300 years before something happens, and then 2,300 years later, something that specific happens exactly, precisely the way it was predicted 2,300 years earlier. Only the Bible does this. This concludes this episode. Please join me for the next now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Trust in Him.